behavior, bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We're here and we are back, baby. What episode is it? It's episode six. Oh yeah, okay. Six. Six. That's great. We're well, a little late, guys, in the game here. We we got we're, we're to well leave. freaking aware. She left for 10 days and decided she didn't have any responsibilities here. Um, and now she's back and she's uh, paying the price. Um, yeah, I wish it was <laughs> like that. Uh, more like I went for my brother-in-law's wedding. So if you guys are wondering what I've been up to, if you haven't been following on Instagram, I like to pretend like I'm this celebrity that people care about, but I know no one gives a shit. But anyways, I went for my brother-in-law's wedding to Israel, which I – didn't really feel like going anyways because I was already satiated. I had just been there like two months ago. I didn't even have a chance to miss it. I got married there not two months ago, a few months ago, and I was there for a month. But I went. My luggage went missing for a few days. Well, that, But then also in my carry-on bag, my new MacBook I was so proud of that I've bragged to Casey about for so long. She well, made not me that buy long, one. I, yeah, I only had it <laughs> for two months, so not that long. Got stolen out of my luggage. Then my SIM card wouldn't work in the phone there. So I just really felt disconnected. And then I ended up in the hospital there. You know how lupus goes. Hashtag lupus problems. Um, so everything went wrong. But, but you handle it really well, I will say. You were being like, I'm just going to look on the bright side. And the, I could have been dead or something horrible could happen. And I'm like <laughs> over here like, fuck that. That was my F-bomb. Like I would be a mess. And you were just like, I don't have clothes. I'm wearing Mickey Mouse pajamas. Um, every day. I think you wore them for two days straight. First of all, the girls in Israel, and by girls, I mean like women, are obsessed with Mickey Mouse. It's like bizarre to me. That's creepy. Like they all love Mickey Mouse. I'm like, I feel whatever. Actually, never mind. I'm not going to say too much. I know a lot of people actually really love Disney. And I've seen that a lot in the study notes group. Just throwing it out there. As always, guys, we are doing the review of the day, the five-star review of the day. This Positively reinforcing to, us. This one was so, so, so good. Hashtag, not hashtag, slash relatable by Brie Fig. She says, I'm obsessed with this podcast. Such a good resource for people studying for BCBA exam and also just two hilarious gals to listen to when driving around. I can't wait for more episodes. Brie, we love you. Thanks for thinking we're funny. I know Thanks sometimes we us five stars. This shit, you guys think it's small? That's the thing, right? It's not just money. This is reinforcing for us too, <laughs> right? Leave us here. those damn reviews. Give us those likes. Follow us on Instagram. We love that shit. We eat it up. Actually, we just hit over a thousand followers on Instagram. I know that's like, you know, but I remember when we first started this, I did like maybe a month or two ago and I like was reinforcing our our hundredth follower. Um, if I was on my game, I would have done it to the thousands follower, but we're so happy and we just love providing this fun, relatable content for a difficult and hard field. Um, but we're all here. You're not alone. We got you. The behavior bitches. Hashtag don't be an asshole. Hi, guys. Casey, what have you also, been up to? So, okay. Before we get into today's topic, all I've been up to basically is trying to learn how to be a BCBA. And I swear to God, it's not getting any easier because I am working for a company where I'm the only BCBA and I am the director of the program, which I've worked at for five years, but not in that level, more as a direct support, which was the best job ever. Now that I'm a BCBA, I can say that. I mean, things are better financially, but the stress and the, um, the learning curve. Now you have a yacht, right? Oh yeah. Yep. Huge yacht out there. Actually, it's an inflatable kayak. So get in there 
pretty fast. Um, <laughs> I will say that, you know, I'm just trying to make sure everyone's supported, family, staff, clients. Um, I feel like I- Liat. Liat is a big <laughs> heavy load. Right? studying with ABA podcast. Um, so <laughs> definitely um, I'm learning each day, growing each day, trying to um, prioritize where like the crisis is and what needs to be done immediately. Um, while also just trying to also be a good fiance, maybe try to have a baby. I don't know. That's good. Definitely on the back burner now. Um, I do think that it will get easier and hopefully our guest when we bring her on can attest to maybe it getting easier. Um, but we are doing great things in the world today. Can help I was us get our shit together. Today I was walking out of my apartment and just this random lady she has a brain injury. She's so cute though. And she goes, she calls me the misbehavior lady. She, and she goes, she cute though. It'll tell them why it says misbehavior. Also your boat. Is that also uh, why? Yeah. My fiance builds boats. They're not, they're toy boats. They're like, um, RC racing boats, but he made me one that said, um, it's misbehaving and then girl on a stripper pole, which I wanted like a naughty teacher, but that's what he picked for me. But anyways, so the lady in this building that we live in calls me misbehavior lady. And um, today she's like, oh my goodness, I get a hundred jobs a day for BCBAs in this area. She's like, I may get one OT, one PT, but oh my goodness, like it's crazy. And it's, it is crazy. There are so many BCBAs that are needed in this world. And I think in my area in New Hampshire, there are very little. Um, so right now, like I'm saying, I'm the only one. And I need more. So if any of you guys are listening and you're in New Hampshire and you're a BCBA. Um, Casey, I'm not trying to be a bitch, but you're going to have to buy ad space if you want to be talking about this. <laughs> heard, heard, heard. <laughs> you're cracking yourself up. Guys, before we get into today's topic, let's talk business. We plan on doing an episode a week. As you know, last week didn't go that way, but everything went the wrong way. You're so never allowed to travel again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not traveling again. Seriously, punish that behavior. That's five sure, like really for sure. Get it? <laughs> Anyways, so we love making the podcast right now, but right now we are paying personally. As much as we love all of you, we would love if we could do this and, you know, get reinforced for doing it. So we have some options. You can sponsor an episode. It's $50 an episode. You can make a donation with an amount you feel comfortable with or you can buy advertisements with us. Uh, right now, we know it's really nice that you listen without any commercials, but hey, girls got to eat. So you guys know how those primary reinforcers go. So if you are interested in advertising with us, please reach out. You could go to behaviorbitches.com and contact us through the website. We Casey, how many listeners do we have now? I'm pulling it up right now, actually. That you we need that. the data. Okay, guys, this is amazing and so exciting. Right now, we have had um, 14,000 viewers listen. So that is amazing. Um, you guys could be heard by 14,000 people in the field of applied behavior analysis. Actually, a lot of people actually are not in the field of applied behavior analysis because we've done a good enough job of keeping it general enough that this shit applies to anyone. So if you are interested in getting in with us and you want to tell the world about a product that's amazing that we would stand behind. First, we need to make sure that we like it. 
<laughs> yeah, we're we're not gonna be selling any bullshit. Sorry, we haven't done it up until this. No, we're point. gonna keep it real. Yeah, we're gonna keep it real. If you're someone trying to screw someone else over, sorry, not sorry, you know. But anyways, if you have something good to sell, we're totes down to help you, and we would love to get our podcast covered. Let's be real. Um, just a friendly reminder to subscribe to our freaking podcast. All you need to do is go into the Apple podcast app and type in behavior bitches and click subscribe while you're at it leave a five-star review obviously duh we know you love us you could find us on instagram at behavior bitches podcast facebook behavior bitches podcast and we love hearing from you guys what you want to hear more of what you want to see us talk about just let us know and we will make you guys happy Anyways, that's it. Let's get back to the show now. Um, but anyways, you guys, today we have an awesome guest on. I let Leah introduce her because uh, she knows more about her than I do. But I'm looking at her right now and she's a beautiful, um, amazing person doing great work in this um, world right now. So Leah, tell us who she is and also what we're talking about today because that's important. Right, it is. Um, okay, so today we have doctor how cool is that to say doctor that's what i said earlier when i was reading it to casey i was like that's so cool dr maggie pavone dr maggie pavone she when i'm when i tell you all these things about her you're gonna be like oh my god she sounds so intimidating and so cool and that she does all this stuff but she's so real that's the best part about it and um, when you first told me about her i'm like oh my god she's so and then i saw her on like um a few things on like the daily ba and I was like, wait, she's actually coming on her podcast. I was like, really, really, really pumped. Yeah, like we're like a big deal. You know, we are a big effing deal. We have <laughs> Dr. Maggie Pavone here. Anyways, okay, so Maggie Pavone. Maggie, hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks I, for I'm so being excited to have here. you. Um, I'm going to say a little bit about you, but then you're going to add in because <laughs> I think you probably know yourself better than I know you. But I'm so excited to have Maggie here. Can I call you Maggie or do you want me to call you like Doc? No, please call me Maggie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What's up, I don't, Doc? Let, I don't even let my students call me doctor, so. You okay. earned that title. <laughs> yeah, you earned that shit. Okay, so why Maggie is so cool, I mean, I could go through this, and you could also read the show notes if you want to read about her specifically, but I'm going to tell you what really sticks out to me and is really cool to see in the field. Um, what I like about Maggie is Maggie um, – is a doc you're a doctor in io psychology right that's where your phd mm -hmm. is in? yep so, so io psychology um can you tell them what io stands for yeah so it's not that common in uh, behavior analysis but io psych is industrial organizational psychology so psychology applied to workplaces perfect and maggie is a bcba also who, so like she just has like the full spectrum of things that she does, which is really She's cool. So package. she owns an OBM consulting company. For anyone who does not know, OBM is Organizational Behavior Management. This is one application of ABA, and Maggie will definitely tell you more about it. I'm not going to waste my breath because we have Maggie here. Why would we need me to do it? Maggie also has a small private practice, and she addresses complex behavioral concerns. This is also really cool to me that it's not the typical autism you hear about. So I love it, obviously. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, 
and preventing of chronic health issues. Wait, did I not know that? And I'm reading it right now for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should totes talk about this later. Uh, I won't make this episode about me. And Maggie- It's really does... hard for you not to do that though. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. I can be in the background. No, 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 no. We are so happy to have you here. Um, so anyways, Maggie... today's topic is organizational behavior management and how to keep employees happy and a bunch of other awesome things. But let's just get that out there right now. Oh yeah, just so you know. Okay, today is about organizational behavior management, but I'm just telling them about her quickly. And Maggie does a lot of great work disseminating the science, letting people know about it. I mean, I have only heard the best things from her students. Maggie is also, um, she teaches for Simmons College. Um, Maggie, not only teaches, you're also the program chair for the masters. Yeah, and so I- Tell them all. I, I'm uh, the program chair for the masters and education specialist program in behavior analysis at Lindenwood University. So we're, we're really small. I only take um, 16 to 20 students a year. So if you think you're awesome and you love what Liat is doing, feel free to get in touch with me if you don't have that degree yet. Because we're looking for people like that. That's actually not that sm I don't think that's that small. Mine was like, I think we started at 20 and then at ending graduation, I think there was 11 of us that actually made it. But can I tell you something? The most special thing about Maggie and Maggie's probably going to like start blushing on here. And also I can't, I, I should open my Google hangout so I could actually see Maggie in case she does blush when I say this, but. Oh, I'm bright red. You've already done that. Okay. <laughs> so Maggie reached out to me. I don't know how you found me initially with study notes, ABA. And she was like, I like what you're doing. I want to see what you're doing. I really care about my students that are in my cohort or whatever you called it, maybe a cohort. Yeah. Um, I want to get them all into your, your classes or like, I want to see how you're doing it. Can you organize a class for them? Can I get them into your classes? Like I, and Maggie literally was like, I want to pay for my students to do this. So now everyone's going to be like, now I want to go to her program, right? Now they're all <laughs> going to come to you. But it, it's just amazing to see how you really care about your students. And I was like, well, we got to look at it behaviorally. Like, are they going to be, feel like they really want to do it if they didn't invest in the coursework themselves. But I just thought that was really special about you. So yeah. I've, I've been really lucky and had had um, some great mentors invest in me. So I kind of try to pass that on. Well, um, I, I mean, I totally agree with that. And I think that is amazing. But I just had to share that because I don't know if you knew that, Casey, that Maggie did that. Um, cool. I think you might have told me that. And I was like, wow, I wish my <laughs> program director offered that. Um, but again, Maggie, who are some of your mentors? Actually, I'm so um, I kind of have a who I call my my scholarly mentor and my practice mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, I was really lucky to have a an amazing BCBA who got me when I first got in this field at, at 17. Uh, Melissa Weber. She's actually an adjunct instructor in my program now. Uh, but she is just one of those phenomenal BCBAs that you meet and she does not shy away from any problem behavior. She will take whatever comes in her door um, and, and really make a difference for folks that have been, because they've fallen through the cracks or people have given up on them. Um, so she really was my first exposure to the field and I can't be more grateful for, for that being kind of my first intro. Uh, but I also really uh, benefited a lot from Dr. Guy Bruce, who is also an organizational behavior management um, professional, or he would say he's a performance management or instructional design 
guru, uh, but he's definitely one of the reasons that I'm um, into research and kind of getting out of or see, seeing behavior analysis as something other than just how do you serve people with autism. So he's done some awesome, um, he's got some books out and things if people want to look that up. It's uh, maybe we can put some of that in the show notes too. Oh, definitely. Show notes. Casey <laughs> lives for the show notes. I'm writing this down right now. I'm like, I can't wait to add this to the show notes. Okay, so let's get started with a very basic question for anyone who maybe doesn't know. And I'm I actually, I actually think that more people than we think actually would not know because uh, what is OBM? I think people might have heard of IO, like you said, industrial organization. <laughs> what is it? Industrial organization, null psych, right? Yep. Um, more than they've heard of OBM. And I know I took um, two courses on OBM and I was fascinated by it. So I'm just so happy to have you here. So what is OBM? So um, OBM is, this is my own definition. So That's fine. We don't want textbook right. definitions. People could Wikipedia themselves. It's really just an adaption of or an adaptation of the science of applied behavior analysis, except that we use it to identify and address problem behaviors in workplace settings. Um, so either workplace performance, um, employees not doing what they need to do, or um, workplace design. So kind of those, those companies that probably we've all worked in at least once where the job is impossible um, and therefore people are upset and unhappy. So OBM takes the same kind of approach to identifying uh, the function of behavior and addressing it in a really systematic way, but we're just doing it with people who don't have diagnoses. Because like we said, right, applied behavioral analysis can be used for anybody because human behavior is across the board. It does not discriminate between anyone. And I think that is why, and what we want to stress in our podcast is that it is not just for autism and it shouldn't be pigeonholed into that i've seen much worse problem behaviors from ceos than folks on the autism spectrum there you go see <laughs> you yeah. just gotta operationally define why they're assholes or what <laughs> asshole looks like right <laughs> yeah. yes that should probably be a subspecialty of the field of obm <laughs> totally and by the way guys this if you are studying for the test this would go along with we know we talk about the four um the four functions of behavior. No, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> and Alan, we might need to um, cut this part out. Um, but we talk about the four branches. Mm -hmm. um, we talk about the four branches of applied behavioral analysis. And this would fall under, I, I'm, I would think that this would fall under the um, like behavioral service delivery. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. I would say a lot of times we're there. Sometimes I get the joy of doing um, even EAB kind of research, looking oh, wow. at how, how employees work and what influences performance. Um, but yeah, typically we're looking at applied practice and service delivery aspects. Okay, I love that. So how did you get into OBM? Because what I've seen of OBM, I, I like what, I would know how to go look for a job working with kids with autism. I type in BCBA, right? So I could have a BCBA. Now, what would, how would I get into OBM if I was interested? So I think the first, this is my, always my first advice to someone who says, I really love OBM or I'm interested in OBM. What do I, how do I get started? Um, is apply the science in your own organization. So 
OBM um, opportunities are probably where are probably available wherever you work, and that can be a really great way to kind of get started in the field. Um, if you're if you happen to be in a practicum or mentorship or fieldwork type experience, there's even an awesome um, article that came out last year in the Journal of Organizational Behavior Management uh, that that will take the entire task list for you, all those things that you've got to check off as you go through your uh, supervised experience and translates them into how you could do that in an organization rather than with an individual. So I always give people that article. Um, and then I say, what's you know, the article called? Do you know? It's called on the compatibility of organizational behavior management and BACB certification. I feel like that's correct. So basically someone could get their entire supervision doing OBM. Yeah, and I actually have several students who who do have that experience. They've already been in RBT for a long time. They've worked in autism field um, when when they come to get their masters, and so they want to try something different. So, if if they want to do that, we really just start at the beginning of the task list, and um, again, I mean, it's all behavior, so we're just applying it in a different way. And I think we can also look at the seven dimensions. Um, and as long as we are staying true to those dimensions, we're still doing behavior analysis. It doesn't really matter who our client is um, or, or where we're working. It can, it can still be um, that really cool, can I say magic? That's not an F word, but I feel like that's a <laughs> bad word on this. Um, magic? Science. Oh, do that behavior man. magic stuff. I love so. it. No, I love it. So we have some questions that whether you're studying for this board exam, whether you work for an ABA clinic right now, whether you feel like you're treated like trash in your workplace, whether it's an ABA clinic or not, whether you go to work every day dreading, whether your Sunday's ruined by your Monday, as I saw someone posted something on one of the confessions of a behavior analyst. I love him so much. Yeah. Don't let your Sunday ruin your Monday. Um, I was like sitting on the lake already stressing out about today because I knew I had like a full work day podcast and teach class. I started getting like really, really, really anxious. And I saw that and I'm like, ah, like there's nothing I can do right now to change the fact that Monday's coming. So make your Monday matter. Right. So if you're whatever environment you're in, the workplace is somewhere where we see a lot of issues in general. And I'm sure everyone who's listening to this can relate. They've had an asshole boss. They feel like they're not trained adequately, whatever it is. And so we have Maggie here to answer all our questions. And I did, um, and I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit just from looking at ABA services themselves. And just because that's what I know more about and what I did some research in. And it says that there is a turnover rate for um, behavior technicians at clinics as high as 75%. Apparently, the average is around 50-something. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, the data suggests that the retention is higher among um, supervisor roles, but it still is very high numbers. Like, Maggie, why do you think these people are not lasting at these companies. So that's actually why I got into OBM um, originally was I moved up out of that direct support kind of role and realized that I had no skills as far as retaining employees. Nobody had ever taught me how to do that. Uh, and so I've, I've learned a lot since then. Um, 
don't be an asshole is the biggest one, but we can put that in some, some specific terms too. I think a lot of times we have managers in human services that just don't know how to be a manager. They make write really good task analyses or, um, you know, conduct skill assessments really well, but no one's really sat down with them and said, Hey, in order to be a good manager, we also need to shape that behavior. Uh, so Turnover is certainly as high as you as you mentioned. Uh, in I think in 2015, the Kazemi study found that it was between 45 and 75 percent um, in residential facilities, which is really scary. Right. Uh, but I think there's a there's a lot of reasons why. Um, the first one is lack of training for managers. So if you are in a master's program or you're getting your BCBA recognize that you're going to be a supervisor. <laughs> um, you are not going to stay a B an RBT for the rest of your life. Um, and make sure that you're getting some of that, that skill development. Um, most of my students in their last semester are no longer doing any type of RBT work. They're, they're preparing to go out and be a director or a clinical supervisor. Um, so getting that experience is really important. And having someone who can kind of shape that experience can be really helpful too. So I, I, I personally feel like there is a huge jump in our field going from like one second you're considered a technician, which even though you're, you have a master's or whatever it is, I mean, you don't even have to necessarily, you go from that. It could be someone who was literally like working at Subway the day before. Now they're a behavior technician, right? Or you can have a master's Ooh. level and be a behavior technician. And then when you pass this big, bad test, hashtag study notes, ABA, you can, that now you're suddenly in charge of, you'll go into a place, BCBAs are so needed, and you are supposed to be running the, the place, the expert on everything. No, you're like speaking my life. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I have a, I've drawn on my paper a rainbow arc of DSP, so direct support or behavior text, right? I'm in my area, they average between 10 and $15 an hour. You can make that at Subway. Okay. And they're doing the hard work on the ground with these clients. And then there's no growth in the field. There's no like, oh, you can get a raise um, in a year. It's in our state, it's capped, right? You cannot go above $15 an hour. And I'm pretty sure in most areas, you don't go above that no matter what. Um, and then the RBT, but even RBTs, like they're not making much more money at all. And then all of a sudden you get your master's, huge pay salary and a huge responsibility and you may have just been yesterday, like me, working as an RBT, and you are now expected to be the expert because you have passed this exam, which, you know, is great. And I'm so excited. But yeah, there's no, um, there's, it's a, it's a weird field to me. Like I look at other fields, I look at my fiance's field and there's steps, you know, each year he gets a, you know, if he's doing his job, he gets a 5% increase and some more responsibility, but that doesn't happen in this field. I, I completely remember the first time that I had a uh, minor imposter syndrome moment in my office and had to shut the door. And I was like, oh, my God, there's 50 people who are going to come to me and look for answers. And I don't know if I have them. <laughs> yes, um, totally. Yeah, it's it's odd that we don't kind of push that a little more, that, that that's about to happen to you um, when you when you pass that test. So I, I like that uh, we've already kind of brought in 
one of my big pieces of advice is as a supervisor to remember that there's competing contingencies. If you're paying somebody $10 an hour to do something really, really hard, mm-hmm. um, they'll probably go to McDonald's and flip burgers for the same amount, right? right. We have to think about the matching law. There's Yeah. Reinforcement so, go or behavior goes or reinforcement flows. Um, and what I try to do, and you can bring Maggie probably more of this, but like some of my um, things now as a supervisor is providing amazing support. Like I am there on the ground with them training from the beginning. I am not just sitting in my office and I need to be in my office doing paperwork. I can't do that. (laughs) I am with them, supporting them, uh, always available for questions, teaching them and also providing, because we can't provide more pay, you know, figuring out how I can give gift cards to certain places, um, giving them preference assessments to staff, not just to clients, but what is most motivating for you? Do you like Starbucks or do you like Dunkin' Donuts? Do you like need gas or are you good with the mileage? Do you want, you know, a gift card to a grocery store? You are making my OBM heart so happy right now. <laughs> Thank you. So- you do know more about OBM than you thought, Casey. Look at see. I didn't know that. Girl, if you understand behavior, the cool thing about it, I really feel is like, I think that also, by the way, side note, is why sometimes behavior analysts come across as assholes, which by the way, this goes in general, because you do feel like you understand the world in a different way when you're a radical behaviorist, right? Every single thing is behavior. So, wow, I could apply it to my goldfish. I could apply it to my dog. I could apply it to the workplace. I could apply it to a kid with autism. So I think that is a a big reason why... um, the field could come across as assholes because you actually do know a lot about different things, but still don't be an asshole. Um, but, and I think the things that we were just talking about help that too. Like just because you got those letters behind your name doesn't mean that your job is now more important than anyone else's. Melissa was one of the ones that really helped me see that too. Like if you're a BCBA and you're by yourself, you can serve one person at a time which is great, right? That's wonderful. Change one person's life. Um, But I think it's really fascinating and exciting to think about like, wow, but if I build a team and this team behaves in a way that produces, you know, useful results for the people that we serve, like that is like a ripple in a pond, right? What's that? You throw a rock in a pond. Yeah. And it just like keeps going. You can actually change a big corner of the world if you really wanted to. So I think that's. So the organization is so important to do but that's kind of, I mean, to be honest, that's why I started study notes ABA. Cause I was like, I don't know, at least working clinically, I personally, I felt like there was never enough of me. Like we couldn't yeah. like there was, it was, I was one BCBA. There wasn't enough. Like if I wanted to be giving the quality that I could give, I was never happy with the quality. I never felt like it was good enough because you're only one person. You're only one person. How can you train every person? How can you um, have multiple use that talk to the parents that are calling you at 10 30 at night, you know, and, and do all of this. And so like, I mean, personally now as a, on a reinforcement schedule for myself, I feel much more reinforced getting more badass BCBAs out there than I, I did working in one clinic trying to, I, I mean, I don't know what I'm, do you get what I'm trying to get at? It's, it's like amazing to see, like everybody has that like aha moment in the field at some point where like you're working with a client and they do something impossible or that was said it was going to be impossible and you feel incredible, like you're so proud of them and amazing. 
But I think when we look at OBM, you can have that same feeling, but now it becomes your employees. When your employee implements a program that changes someone's life, you can have that same like, oh my gosh, look at what you did. This is incredible behavior magic. <laughs> um, it's so funny that you say that because right now I manage um, it's eight clients, but like 12 staff and <laughs> um, being able to get through to my staff has been so reinforcing to me when they're like, you know, I say, oh, try this. And they come back the next day and they're like, oh my God, you know, so-and-so did that. And I'm like, whoo, okay. So you also realize you're not an imposter. You're like, mate, maybe I actually do know something. Well, it's funny because I have a sign on my, um, in my office that says I'm a clinician, not a magician, which I've probably found out <laughs> interest, but I have to remind people a lot that I'm like, when they come to me with these things, I'm like, okay, I can give you some tactics and we can talk through this, but it's not like you said behavior magic, but like a lot of the times I think people feel like it's not working or you're not doing enough or you don't know enough. And when you get those moments, you're like, yes. And I, now that I'm talking with you, Maggie, it's so funny. You're right. I'm doing more OBM than I think I'm doing, giving feedback, providing, you know, appropriate criticisms and, um, or critiques and also positive reinforcement is huge. I could say like, Hey, you did really great interacting with that client. And then you know, I don't even think about it because I am used to positive, positively reinforcing people. But then I get an email from a mom who says, wow, that was so great that you positively reinforced my staff. I don't think they get enough of that. And I'm like, oh, I like want to cry. So that is the most common maybe suggestion or intervention that I uh, that I end up using um, in the in the OBM field is just looking at how people provide feedback. And it sounds really simple. But like you said, if we look at if we look at that feedback contingency, um, you know, we're really good at applying that to kids with autism, right? We know it has to be immediate. We know it has to be valuable. You know, it has to be the motivation um, or the MO has to be there. MO has to be in place. But it's surprising to me how many times we forget to apply that to the to our our staff or to the people who are out there doing the dirty work too. Like they have a hard job. They probably need something maintaining that behavior that's and it, and it needs to come from you as the manager a lot of the time. I think that like, you know, we, uh, I, one thing I learned about autism is some people will be like, well, they should just do that. Like they should just be able to do that without reinforcement. And it's like, oh, do you just go to work for no money? Do you just do that for just cause you should like, so we, I have to remember that for staff too. Like sometimes I do get like frustrated, like they should just do that. But then I'm like, no, we all need that feedback. I need feedback from when I teach. I need feedback from my staff saying, thank you so much for the support. Cause if not, then I don't have, like, I know nothing about my behavior and I am not being reinforced to want to increase that behavior. Well, like, and not to bring up, obviously you're not this kind of manager, but I'm sure we've all met this type of manager, like who may fire or punish someone and they might just use a label for why, like, Oh, well they're lazy or they don't, they don't give a, but they don't, Give a, uh, they don't care. Um, there we go. Right. Um, about their, about their job. So I'm just gonna punish them, or I'm just gonna fire them and get somebody new. Like we wouldn't do that to a kid with autism, right? We were taught day one, like mm -hmm. lazy is not a behavior. We're not gonna say someone's lazy. Right. So we need to, as managers, we're we're contingency managers. We need to create environments that produce the behavior we want to see. So I think that not being an asshole and seeing yourself as this kind of mentor, support person, um, like you're talking about is really important. So what, what settings do you, um, 
offer OBM services in right now? So um, I've scaled back a bit uh, just because I like to jump around in the field, but I still work with um, two uh, behavior analysis agencies that are residential. So I find that that's the place where um, maybe services tend to deteriorate a little bit. And, and there are some pretty consistent reasons why. Um, but I, I do that. And then to be totally honest, the rest of my OBM work has nothing to do with autism. That's uh, what I want to hear about. Tell, <laughs> tell, tell me, I want to know what other places it is. And then once I ask you that, I want to know what issues do you see the most across multiple settings, whether it's autism, not autism, FedEx, I don't care. <laughs> sure. So um, I guess my my probably most unique setting um, that's been pretty consistent is I actually work with a, uh, a circus studio. Um, I work with their trapeze artist trainers um, on how to be cool. better trainers. Oh so we, my God. We look at um, using behavioral skills training. Um, I also uh, was certified in tag teach. So Sometimes I'm going to provide very specific ways to improve athletic performance um, because that's that's their outcome that's important, right? So do you the use a little but the little clicker? So in trapeze, you're too far away to hear the clicker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we use um, different things. Uh, like an air horn? <laughs> like an air horn. Being a circus studio, we have a lot of uh, horn-ish <laughs> kind of things. It um, really depends on, on the individual. And it's interesting because we also have to make sure that whatever that cue is, I don't know, I don't want to jump it in. It doesn't scare that. them. But it, it doesn't scare them. And it's not something that they're already conditioned to respond to. So right. if, if the clown uses the clown horn and it means something specific in the show, I can't then use that as my auditory cue for reinforcement. So it has to be like a novel, a novel stimulus? Yes. So okay. we've come up with some pretty interesting things out there. This is so cool. Um, like, how did you find this place, Maggie? Like, just were you, were you like doing, trapeze work or something so actually yes i jumped off of a ledge uh, and jumped right into it i uh, i took a trapeze class to celebrate being a year cancer free wow. and loved it and just fell hard for it but when i was learning when i was teaching myself or learning how to do trapeze do flying trapeze um i was like hey like there's a room there's room for behavior analysis here um you guys could be more effective and they were really open to that. So sometimes sometimes it's just about uh, getting into OBM is just about being able to say what behavior analysis can do in a way that other people can listen to it, which comes back to like not being a pretentious asshole, right? Being able to just totally. say, like, hey, I, I can help you train better. Here's what I would do. Right. Um, and well, first of all, I want to tell you that's amazing that I, that not just that, that fact that you said that you obviously struggle with cancer and now you're cancer free. Yeah. So and, I think a great way and you're celebrate. pregnant. <laughs> yes. So that is amazing to hear. Also, I just want to say, like, go you and. Hey, you know very much how it is to to balance life and uh, work and chronic health issues. So uh, totally. So, but you know what? I I really do think it changes you for the better. You see life in a totally different way. You can I work so much harder agree. for it. Is it is it? We can kind of think of it as like um. An MO, right? It makes your reinforcers more valuable temporarily when you start to think about, oh, I, I might not have those forever. Um, right. On I days guess. that I feel good, like the amount of behaviors I could get done in that day are like, you can't effing stop me. Like I either go from like, n like dead, like literally, like when I was just in Israel, for example, I was like, 
I couldn't do a thing for myself, had to be like carried from here to like, to like, and there's no like middle for me. It's like, I got to utilize the days that I feel good. So when the MO's there, I'm like, let's go, baby, you know? Hopefully, hopefully my students haven't talked to you too much about me then, because I think I think I have a similar uh, reputation among them. They say I never sleep, which I do sleep. Actually, I have really good work life balance, but but when I work life balance, what is what is that? (laughs) Actually, I I like to call it um, maximizing reinforcers. Right, there is no work life balance. It's just making sure that your behavior is contacting reinforcers that are that are really valuable to you. So if you can do that with both, that's awesome. I think I want to hang out with her in real life. She's so cool. She's just chill and just beautiful. And I'm really just a big nerd, but I love behavior analysis. That's what we are. That's why we're like sitting here (laughs) geeking out. I spend all my time, all my days thinking about applied behavioral analysis. I mean, since I started the program and I had that light bulb moment where I was like, this makes sense. I understand. I can talk about this stuff and tell my friends and, and, you know, come up and help my aunts with their kids or whatever it needs to be like done. I have not stopped geeking out on it. And that's when, when I met Leah, I'm like, I need to teach now. I need to do everything. I need to do a podcast because and I was like, listen, bitch, you need to pass this test. I really like something about you. <laughs> I have big dreams but for my you, but I need was to huge there. I had yeah. to pass so I could become, you know, Leah's like sidekick man. Yeah. So I can also, and again, it's the balance. Like you said, um, contacting reinforcement. So I, feel there's so much times that I'm all day going through this crazy stuff. But when I sit back and think about it after I'm like, I have to make a list of like the good stuff I'd done that day, like the reinforcement that did happen without me even realizing it. Like, okay, I was able to send this email and teach this parent how to do ABC data in the home. And she got it. I was able to do this. I was able to realize that our outlines for study notes, ABA were needing a lot of help. And that <laughs> great antecedent intervention is write out a long aversive list. And then every time you get to remove something off that list, you cross it off. Negative reinforcement, baby. You feel okay. good. But anyways, Maggie, so tell me, what is the most common issue you see across organizational settings? So uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to narrow it to one, but I'll okay. do my best. Few. It's fine. Um, I think maybe we want to divide them into kind of what I'd call low hanging fruit, like easy fixes and more time consuming ones. So I'd say on the easy fix side, low hanging fruit, tell us. Prioritizing profit over training. When we see organizations that put people who have, who have had like, yeah, I don't know, they've watched a video and signed some papers and then you go put them out to work with a human Mm -hmm. um, because you want to get that billable hour done I, it really I can, pisses me off. I'm like feeling myself finally warm up. I'm finally getting blood to my hands right now. <laughs> it, it is really upsetting, but it also doesn't work, right? So it it's ineffective and crappy for the people that we work with. So I think that getting managers to see that actually investing in training, um, training that's not just like a like a PowerPoint presentation, like actual behavioral skills training, or like you guys said, like going out and actually doing that in vivo training where you're helping people shape their behavior on the job, that that can create more profit um, is really easy. It's really easy and and it changes. It makes big changes um, in organizations. So that's probably the most. What what I've seen at places, I mean, and I don't know if it's just like where I worked. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of issues with like 
oh, we don't want to turn a client down that we could give these hours to. So, okay, hurry, we'll just hire someone quickly. So then someone who was already shittily trained is now training someone else, is now being shadowed. And Absolutely. now it's like a shitty, 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 you know? Like, yeah, which like, is, which I, is why I say like we're, when you're in this field, like you have to remember you're not working with hamburgers and lumber. Like you no. can't just you can't just serve a bad hamburger and go on to the next day. Like you can fuck up someone's life. Think that was your f ball. That's your f ball. <laughs> <laughs> she no, didn't say shit earlier, but then she she felt passionate about that. She dropped that. <laughs> I was literally today in a in vivo training for one of our clients who um has a volunteer job in a restaurant, and I used to bartend and waitress. And I think back on my life then, and I thought it was so stressful when you had like twenty drink tickets, but you could serve a shitty drink to someone, and they're not gonna like affect. But if you have shitty services to people. You have people's lives in your hand, not like a doctor, even though you are a doctor, but like still it could affect. No, but like so a doctor, you're still prescribing hours. Like yes. people need to take it seriously. Yes. Like you are like And a guess doctor. what? The one person that we put in a position when they didn't have proper training, we've been paying workman's comp for like uh, years. <laughs> see, see, and it's costly, right? People yeah. you, know, you look at the short term, you're like, oh, I just need somebody in that spot for an hour. Like, no, make sure that you're doing this the right way because it's, it will it will come back and bite you. And we have great research that actually backs that up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, if you if you don't train people well, those are the those are the 75 percent. You know, those are the ones that yeah. are getting that really, really high turnover rate and they're not making a difference in the individuals that they serve. So exactly. it's it's kind of a double so training. Training is huge. Feedback mm -hmm. is huge. And yeah, we use um, like an online kind of like. 10 hour training that they watch videos and have to take a quiz, but that is in no way that is just extra that we pay them for. That is in no way different than me being there for 30 to 35 hours a week with them for at least two weeks with can, them hundred percent. But can I tell you something I've seen also I've seen, so well, you hire someone, right? I'm not working anywhere. So I'm not talking bad about anywhere in particular. I'm just saying hire someone, you get them a, you buy them a 40 hour RBT training video, mm. not oh. even paying them for doing those hours. Nope. There's no funding. That, well, and what does that, what does that teach somebody about the training, right? It's not valuable. That's not valuable. Like I, like, I just need you to do it. Like that's exactly what it is. And that is so concerning to me. Have you seen this at multiple places? I, I, like I said, I think that's the most wide ranging and it's, it's not just in behavior analysis. Um, I'd say it's in all of, all of human services. I've, I've worked with hospital settings and, and you know, things like that where you Maggie, see, how thing. old are you? I'm not telling that. You look so <laughs> yeah. young. You literally look like so young. I told you I'd you tell you so anything, much. but I lied. <laughs> You're so funny. She's 34. No, I'm not, I'm not even going to give you any, like, I'm not going to shape that answer. <laughs> You're not any successful right. approximations to that you're not shaping okay fine. not reinforcing and don't ever ask a woman her age Leah. why i i think it's i think it's empowering because you're 28 that, i'm 29 in two in two weeks write it down wait are um, you a cancer Leah? no a leo the first day of a leo and oh, i'm a hard okay. leo i, I was gonna that. say I, i'm a cancer and i don't see that in you what are you uh what's your sign maggie <laughs> let's get on. i'm a scorpio so Ooh. i don't get along with any of you <laughs> <laughs> Totally off topic. All right, okay. going back. What are your high hanging fruit? Yeah, what are the high hanging um, fruit? Process flaws. So job design being okay. wrong. Um, and this one I think is actually really 
the, the cool part is it's easy to test. Um, if you have a manager who doesn't want to take a jump in and take somebody else's job and RBT's job for an hour or two, the job is not designed correctly. <laughs> I see Absolutely. that all the time. Um, and I think that is a, a little bit more of a difficult skill to learn how to do process analysis, mm -hmm. but it's worth it. If you wanted to like take some time and learn an OBM skill that would pay off long-term, um, learning how to do process analysis is a bit of a jump into something new. You got to be a little brave, but when you know how to do it, it can really take, you can take that instead of just doing like a job task analysis, you can take that to that next level and look at what influences the, you know, what are the MOs and the consequences from different departments or from different areas of your organization? And are they lined up? Or do you have people that are, um, you know, spending a whole lot of effort and time doing, you know, engaging in a behavior that they're not getting reinforced for at all? Uh, are you having, or do you have, <laughs> do you have, this is my favorite one, do you have a data collection procedure that involves more than five steps? Right. It's not going to happen. No. Um, it right. might look really nice on paper, but it, it's not going to happen for real. Or you're going to get bad data, um, which then makes your job hard. Treatment integrity, guys. So right. I think bad data is not worth anything. Nothing. And it's hard to get people. And then there's no validity, guys. Validity. And then you get people like, well, why isn't my client making progress? Well, it's <laughs> because you're, you're making database decisions on data that doesn't mean anything. Exactly. Um, so... Process analysis is just a way to kind of identify where that process breaks down. Can, and can you or not compare that to a component analysis just for someone studying, let's say? Can you, could I use those words interchangeably? Like I want to look at what components are effectively working or not? Not quite. It's a little bit of a shift, um, but, but definitely knowing how to do component composite analyses can help you learn process analysis much faster. Um, it's, it's like a, maybe that's- What is a process analysis? So process- analysis is when we actually look at um, starting from the the very beginning antecedents, how does a product get produced in an organization? So in an ABA, typical ABA agency, that product might be um, a student learns a new behavior, right? A, right? Somebody learns how to emit a man. Great. Well, process analysis takes that product and looks at what uh, what steps are required, who's doing those steps, are there, um, are there SDs for those steps? Or are we looking at a mixed schedule where people don't know what the hell is going on? Um, are there consequences for each of those steps? Um, are those steps being repeated in, in ways that are not effective? Like maybe you've got three people taking ABC data for one client just because that's their role. So we, we want to eliminate those, what we call process flaws or, or areas for improvement and make things more streamlined. So if somebody is doing a, be doing a behavior at work, that behavior is directly then tied to the outcome of the student learning. So we take out all of these extra things that, that typically are in agencies just because they're there. They weren't actually designed to produce They're not outcome. tested, right, to see if they actually yes. work. I've come across that a lot in becoming a program director is um, all these steps, all these things that they were told or taught. I'm like, that is so useless in getting them to actually emit the behavior we want them to emit. And, but I didn't know again, even starting called. as, as starting as early in the process as like interviewing someone, like when I was working yes. somewhere, I saw the interview question and I'm like, and I'm like, wow, this, like, why is this even in here? It was like, someone's is like, what does protocol mean to you? 
Who cares? Like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, what is someone going to say to that? Like, so that was in their thing. And I'm like, it takes someone actually taking out a simple thing like that and being like, wait, that's not necessary. But people just continue to do the same thing because it's in there and never being like, well, does this make sense that we have it in here? Is it actually related to the outcomes you want to see at your organization? If not, don't do it. Don't no. do what doesn't work. That's that's my definition of pragmatism. And don't make people do more work that isn't actually useful for the outcome of behavior or the outcome that you want to see. I came in and streamlined. I'm like, listen, you don't need to be taking data on all this stuff because unless we're using that to then direct your program, there is no reason to be taking all this stuff. And you Thank you for a, that example. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. Yeah, we'll have people taking all this data and then the data sits in the stack. Or sits yeah, in a file on a computer. Yeah. Don't do that. Have those people mm-hmm. actually out there doing things that are useful um, yeah. and creating the kind of things you want to see for real, not just checking them And then they feel stronger about their work because then they're seeing why they're doing it and it makes them want to do it more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why would if you, you know, take data if no one's ever going to look at it? Yeah. Or don't you, haven't you ever had RBTs that are, that are frustrated because they're doing something and they don't have any idea why? Yes. If you, if you can't specifically tie that to an outcome that makes a socially significant difference for your clients, don't have them do it anymore. And if they don't know why they're doing it, then they're not realizing what they're actually even counting. It's like, you know, like for, for what purpose? It's like, okay, every time someone talks, right? But like, they don't know that they're doing it for manding or something or what the importance of a mand is. So it's like, now they're recording every time this kid like even like coughs or something, any, you know, any sound they're hearing. And so you're getting incorrect data. So there's a huge concern in the training. It's just. Yeah. Training yeah, absolutely. Huge. Training is huge. Feedback is really important. Um, you know, making sure that those behaviors that you want to see are are defined just as well as the behaviors you don't want to see. A lot of times I see that too, right? We just have a bunch of things that, what's the problem in your organization? You get a bunch of answers about like what people aren't doing. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you want them to do? Because if you haven't designed a contingency or an environment that's going to produce that behavior, that's on you. I have one for, um. so, you know, we like, don't use your cell phone. Don't, do this. And I, I'm like, okay, how about I teach them that I want, what I want to see is full 100% engagement with your client, um, unless it's lunchtime and then you can have time to do that. But I, what I want to see is that engagement. I do not want to see people in the community seeing staff on their phones. You need to be hanging out with your client. Like you'd hang out with your bestie. Yeah. So instead of punishing cell phone use, right, that would just, that would just perhaps reduce it but really you have to catch it every time now you now you want it or it would have the opposite effect right intermittent reinforcement rather than punishment yeah um we want to just find ways you you want engagement define what those behaviors are and again set up the mo's set up the sds set up reinforcement contingencies that are actually going to produce that Mm um you know it's i I hate to say it because i but maybe it will be encouraging to people it's not that hard it's the same thing you're already doing with your clients, but we have to just do that transfer at the next it level. to all people. It is yeah. human behavior, human, not a, de- a developmental disability behavior. It is a human behavior. You can do it with your husband. You can do it with your friend. You can do it with 
kids that don't have disabilities. You can do it right now. I could do it with Leah or Maggie. <laughs> like, right, like, you absolutely. guys are crushing this podcast, guys. Maybe they're like, <laughs> yeah. Or I could be like, okay, time's up. So we got to go. And then it's punished. And then we might stop. But no, you can do it with anyone. Really? Yeah. What What is something that you see in that you've seen a manager and you're like, you are just a badass you are doing amazing. People love working for you. They love this environment. You have, you've done it, baby. What, what are some characteristics or operational definitions you could give of different behaviors that you see of a badass manager? And what can someone listening to this do to be a badass manager, supervisor, director, call sure. it what you wish? Um, badass managers take data on their own behavior. Ooh. Ooh, and I'm wow. writing this down. <laughs> yeah, uh, because because if you want to be an effective, again, a be effective behavior change agent, you need data to show that you're being effective. And if you if your data shows you're not being effective, then a badass manager changes their strategy. So not being just like tied to one way of managing an employee, um, and that maybe is my second one is badass managers. Um, remember that reinforcement is individualized. So what might be reinforcing for uh, one person's workplace behaviors may not be for the other one. But if you have that data, you can find that that issue and and uh, make sure that you're you know reassessing preferences for that individual um, or or redesigning their workplace so that it is reinforcing for that person's behavior. So what do you mean by that? I'm assuming that not every person is just motivated by money. Yeah. Um, like that generalized condition reinforcer that we often associate like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll pay you extra to do this, right? That's not necessarily the, right? Not necessarily the case and um, not necessarily always available, right? We can't just always, I, I'd love to pay a right. million dollars. Like, sure, that would probably change some performance. <laughs> um, maybe not though. Uh, but, you know, finding out, getting to know your staff, just like you'd get to know your clients, like build rapport. Hashtag pairing. Like. Pair, yeah. Um, and be flexible. You know, just because you don't, it, <laughs> I'm going to bring the same, the same silly anecdote that, keeps, that came into ABA study notes class last, last time. Um, you know, one of my favorite stories of, of odd reinforcers is a client that his, his most preferred item was being able to carry a breakfast sausage in a plastic baggie. <laughs> um, it, that's not, have, I don't know if you've ever seen on the Instagram or the Facebook about people posting their like most interesting reinforcers they've seen with clients. It's so fun. Like they're, they're totally weird, right? They're Sometimes like a piece of grass, a piece of grass, <laughs> that one piece of grass. A lot of them are like vacuuming. Like vacuuming is very vacuum. popular. Vacuuming. Oh, my son was a was huge into vacuuming. My nephew is huge into vacuuming. My brother is huge into vacuuming. If you don't have a Dyson, you are not cool compared. And to I just that. got one, not to brag. Concern or what is the word? According to my nine year old nephew, <laughs> it's true though. It really is. I got one. It's totally worth it. Yeah, preference assessments are huge. And again, like you said, individualized for each staff as you would individualize for your clients. And if you start doing preference assessments with how you deliver feedback, it will change your life. Uh, because again, people have different preferences there. And even though you might like, especially I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus. Like I don't like being called out in a public setting. Whoops. Like, sorry. Not reinforcing a lot Whoops, of. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I punished her for getting her 
doctorate and taking care of her students. I'm so sorry. I won't do that again. I am much more likely to like, like I, I, I think I can, I don't think anyone from my school will listen to this. I'm not a huge fan of faculty meetings, right? Because that's like a big audience where people are getting awards and things like that. Like I am, I am probably going to avoid that situation. It's definitely not going to be reinforcing. Well, thank Um, you for being on this podcast because you are going to get lots of attention. We are about to blow you up. (laughs) Hopefully you blow up, uh, you know, the behavior of going into OBM, even if it's scary. I hope people are doing that. Yeah, I agree. Um, But no, you've totally um, opened my eyes and mind to it. Yeah, you're already doing it. You're already in it. Love it. (laughs) So just remember that your employees might have different preferences too. So if you're not seeing behavior change, then that would be one of the first places to look, right? Are you actually providing reinforcers that are valuable for that person? And a lot of times they're not monetary. I bet I bet a lot of your employees love the fact that you will actually go out on the floor with them and that that actually creates some behavior change. I see that. I've And I've gotten that feedback is it's not so much about the money, but it's coming from a new organization. Like they've come from an organization that provided zero training and they were put in really scary situations. And to come to me where I'm like, I'm not leaving you for two weeks, girl. I got you, or man, whoever. And there's not many men in this field, but um, or at least at the direct support level. But I'm like, no, I got you. I'm right here. Like, you don't have to worry about anything until you are 100% ready to be alone with this client. And if you're not, you tell me. And again, though, that comes like that I'm on a salary that does not nowhere near cover the amount of time I have to put in. But I do it because it's, again, monetary for me isn't as reinforcing as my staff being happy. Like I could get a salary and be doing half the job I'm doing, but I would have people that were not happy. And I don't like people that aren't happy or safe or, um, you know, feeling supported. And that's my biggest thing is you have to be supported. That one article that I accidentally sent to both of you yesterday, but I meant to send for you to read, Casey, but that article by um, Ronit Molko that the PhD BCBA, she does a lot of work on, it seems like she does a lot of OBM herself mm-hmm. with these different agencies. And the one quote in there that she said is that employees who feel invested in feel valued, right? So like if we're showing that we care about them individually, I mean, these are also like in all these basic business books you read too. I mean, like even how to win friends and influence people, it's like, just call them by their first name, you know, like, Say I hi go to around, them. I go around my office during the day when all the clients and staff are there and I do this thing and I think it's probably ridiculous, but I'm like, you're awesome. You're amazing. Like high fives, like just for like no non-contingent reinforcement, like just give them, make them laugh, make them smile, make them feel noticed, make them feel in, that their job matters. And it takes me five seconds to do that. I get up yeah. in my office, I leave my, you know, my desk and I go out on the floor and I'm like crushing life guys doing awesome. Look how, you know, like just little things like that. And that is something that they don't teach you. They're like, you know, like attention is huge, like a huge reinforcer that alone. I mean, I know a lot of my supervisees when I was working in a clinic would love when I would just like Maggie said, go out and actually get on the floor with them, see what they're doing, model things for them. Like, that those things alone are huge. And it's also benefiting you because it's your client. Mm-hmm. Now, That's there's something I want to talk about that really warms my blood. And I've seen it so, and I, I hear about it. People reach out to me all the time through study notes saying they're in these different dilemmas and, and I've been in it myself. And it's 
in the field of ABA, and I'm talking because I know this field, but I'm sure it's in a lot of other fields too. And this topic is done, done, done. Non-compete clauses. A non-compete clause, meaning I work somewhere, I work at ABC Behavior, and listen, I'm giving you your supervision while you're here, okay? I'm the BCBA, you're the RBT, the behavior technician, and you need me to supervise you? Okay, fine. But you can't go work anywhere else within 100 miles Mm -hmm. for five years. For five years. (laughs) Or you have to pay me a bunch of money. You need to pay me back for my supervision. Now, how does that reinforce anyone's behavior? Like, what the hell? If Especially, I'm sorry, if we are behavioral agencies working with behavior, why are we putting this punishment contract into place? How, what do you feel about these, Maggie? So I, I was so excited when you, when you said you wanted to talk about this. Um, it really I, pisses me off, like, really. <laughs> I have seen it really hurt people. Um, and I think that that's not the point of our field, right? But I think that I, I've tried to step back and look at, again, look at the contingencies that create these types of behaviors, because putting a non-compete clause into your hiring procedure is a behavior. Um, and I think it's really out of fear. I think that, uh, you know, if you have an agency where people love to come to work, they they maximize their reinforcers when they're there, they see that the, the work they're doing makes a difference, then you you don't need to worry about them leaving. <laughs> um, and if they leave, they're probably going to go and do good work that you couldn't do in your agency. They're going to go do more things. I mean, there are so few BCBAs. None of us, do you have a waiting list at your program? Or do oh, you yeah. have, right? No, none of us are hurting for new clients. Oh, I could get a job at 400 different places around me. Literally while we're sitting here, I just got offered a job in Baltimore. Okay. I just got my Apple watch. (laughs) So in field, in field where demand is really low, I think non-competes have a different function, right? They, they are meant to protect an agency from losing employees um, that, and then they can't get any more. But when I see non-competes in this field, um, all I think is, wow, you, you must not have a good management system because you're you're so scared of people leaving. And I think it is against, I think that they go against almost all of our behavioral principles and, and just Skinner's vision for what this science is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't be. Skinner would be pissed. I'm just saying. He would. He's probably <laughs> rolling over right now. Yeah, um, totes. He's pissed. Skinner is pissed. Because all that does is reduce behavior that you just trained, right? You train someone to go do something well. Uh, we don't want to punish that behavior. We want them to we go. We always say too to that. our to our own treatment plans, like always use reinforcement, reinforcement, reinforcement first, punishment as the last thing. And it's like, but if you leave us, we will fuck never you let for you the rest work of your life. There, I think that's my F bomb. Did I use two? I'm not sure. Well, it's I think a we have very to be, hot topic. I think we have to be really careful if you're if you're considering using one of these, I think you have to be really careful because we actually have ethics codes that go against them too. As mm-hmm. as supervisors, we're we are not allowed to exploit people that are that report to us um and don't we um, have to supervise them anyways like i'm saying like these are our clients okay let's say joe schmo is a little client you have with autism i'm just talking about an autism clinic for example now right mm -hmm. this is my client i'm the bcba okay i have an rbt who is doing all the hard 
direct work with this client, but it is still my kid. Like if something goes wrong with them, it's under my name. So how can I have someone working in my place and not offer them supervision? Right? Well, well, and that's kind of what I hit. I actually have a this personal story about non-competes. Um, I had a student who uh, was under a non-compete agreement, was completing her supervision hours, getting ready for the test. She was incredibly a, a great clinician. Um, you know, just very skilled, very flexible, great, uh, great behavior analytic knowledge. And as she worked for this agency, she realized that there were some things going on there that were uh, that were violations of the ethics code. Um, but that put her in a really interesting situation because she had to choose whether she was going to uphold our ethics code, which all of us would hope she does, right? Yeah. That's that's the goal, or pay eight thousand dollars to leave that agency. Jeez, um, that's and, so sad. And to me, that that contingency that is is exploitation. And we actually consulted with Dr. Bailey himself, um, who is very accessible. I don't think people understand that. If you if you email Dr. Bailey, like the Bailey and Birch Bailey, he will email you back. And give guys, you that's from your ethics book, as in like Bailey and Birch. What she's saying that is like yeah. ethics. Like you he, all he better have it. that book and be reading it if you're studying <laughs> for the exam. <laughs> Yes, please do, but don't hesitate to reach out. Even in my because... state, in New Hampshire, they are non-compete clauses are actually illegal in my state. But mm -hmm. I know of agencies that are requiring them, and I've had a few friends who have um, gotten hired without that being a clause, and then it implements as a clause like two months into their job. And I like, mean, and how what? messed up is it? Like here, I am a hot commodity being a BCBA. We do not have nearly enough BCBAs out there, right? No, exactly. And now I'm in a city and let's say it's somewhere like where you live, Casey, right? Yeah. You can't well, go I'm work, in a rural say, area. Like, yeah. you can't go help anyone else. No, for a 200 mile radius. So I would literally not be able to work as some of these, I've, I've heard these non-compete classes from friends of mine um, that have left that job because it's insane. It, like literally you could not work for two, I think it was two years within a 200 mile radius, providing any behavior analytic uh, programs or skills. And so that would be any job you would never, who could travel over 200 miles to get to work for two years? You couldn't. So well, it's a fear of God. We've all been just talking about how behavior analytic work can be any work with humans. Right. So you're going to have to go. Or Define animals. that more. Yeah. So you're going to have to go 200 miles away and you're going to have to work with uh, at Home Depot. Yeah. With no humans. Just just like packaging. Ringing, stocking and make shelves. sure that they're yeah. not doing more sales and they should be. They better not be taking data on how much you're stocking shelves. Don't try to improve that workplace either. No. <laughs> so yeah. just talking about this behaviorally. The, the non-compete would be a punisher, right? Or if well, only if, it, only if it decreases the future frequency of behavior. It's maybe an aversive stimulus. But it also could be like an antecedent intervention in terms of like a scare tactic, right? Like you're threatening, like a threat is not a consequence. So I'm, I'm trying to think what it is right now. I'm not saying. I think we're I'm, mostly dealing with rule governed behavior mm -hmm. in those instances because people aren't actually contacting those those contingencies directly but but if they do if they yeah. do it's likely going to punish their behavior of going to work somewhere else that has that contract in the future absolutely I mean, if it did then it would be a punisher right so what is an, al an alternative i know 
we're getting kind of long on time, but I just want to, what would you say a good alternative is to get someone to stay, you know, like offering them something that increases over time? Like what is, I mean, aside from a quality, happy workplace to be in, what is a good alternative we could use instead of non-competes? Um, instead of non-competes, I think- I would I mean, just I, say reinforcement, right? Like providing- yeah contacts that they can come into that is positively reinforcing to the behaviors that you want to see. I mean, if you have an employee that, I mean, first of all, first of all, you need to build trust in your organization so that an employee can come to you and say, Hey, I think I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. um, and you do that by making sure that your verbal behavior becomes an SD for reinforcement. Right? If I tell you that you need to do this thing, then I'm telling you that there's an opportunity for reinforcement. That's, I think that that builds trust. Um, and then, and then you have employees that can come and say, Hey, um, you know what? I, I'm thinking about going to another agency because my commute's too long. Well, great. There's a problem that you can solve rather than having this big, ugly non-compete clause that just makes people figure out how to get out of it. You could actually try to fix that. Hey, maybe we need to do some, um, job sharing. Maybe we need to look at your caseload and see if we can readjust, uh, you know, finding solutions for those actual problems rather than putting this blanket rule over everybody that's in an agency. Um, also, do you want people who like, when I hear about these different people reach out to me through the study notes thing and they're like, I'm so unhappy here. I haven't got any supervision. Like I literally like, I mean, but I apparently I've got my quote unquote supervision here. Yeah. So like, do you want people who aren't happy? And like, I mean, that's also what upsets me. Like you, you're trapping people in somewhere they don't want to be. Well, and, and I don't think that those people then like, I think that's what you're hinting at. They don't then behave the way that you would want them to behave in your agency. Right. Anyway, that's, that's you retain them. They didn't leave, but they're doing crappy work. Um, or Just because they can't, they're signed a contract they and they can't leave. Yeah. So, I like that you said, though, um, about finding solutions for the problems that your staff may be having and making yourself um, available for um, reinforcement, making yourself trustworthy. Um, I've had clients, uh, staff come being like, I'm just not happy in this with this client due to the X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, well, I know that you do really good work. So why don't, instead of you quitting or giving your notice because of things that I can actually solve, I can solve those problems. But if they never came to me or trusted that they could come to me to express their concerns, then they would just leave. But instead I'm like, let's find you a new one. We got plenty of people that need help and I will find someone else for that, that may be a better match. And I don't want to guarantee it, but I could almost guarantee it. If you have those conversations and they still end up leaving, your agency's not going to suffer. They're going right. to go talk good things about you. They're going to go do their job somewhere else, which is mm -hmm. great for every for the community. Um, but they may even, you know, if you're a workplace that they still enjoyed, but let's say let's say it is a commute issue, right? You you can't fix it. Yeah, it's it's or just a money bizarre. issue or a money issue. You can't fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, they may send you the best referral you've ever had. Um, as an employee, or, um, you know, they may go and, and work for an agency that has a huge wait list and say, oh, you know what, I actually know another agency that might be a good fit for you. Um, it's, it's not gonna, it's, it's not gonna turn out as badly as you think. I just had a huge ringing in my ear and I'm like, I think my employees are hearing me. <laughs> <laughs> Who's talking about me? Well, you're only uh, saying good things. This is really great, Maggie. This, I was really, um, not nervous, but a little um, apprehensive about this episode, just because I wasn't sure if I really understood it. And after talking with you, I have 
you can see my notes, no one else on, but I have ripped up my uh, outline with notes. I've never <laughs> taken notes on a podcast before. So I'm like writing all this you are stuff like, down. Tracy, one thing about you, let me give you a compliment because I think you actually do like public compliments. Unlike Maggie, um, <laughs> according to my preference assessments I've done with you. Yeah. You are like literally the best student ever. Like <laughs> no matter what class setting you're in, I mean, whether you are in my collective, when I was teaching you, you were like more prepared than me. Now, <laughs> when you're teaching the study notes collective, you watch every video before class, you oh, take yeah. notes again. You basically sat through it like 30 times. I should know this podcast. Shit <laughs> I mean, you are the best student. Like keep that up. That is amazing. My oh, best friend. Uh, what a brilliant oh, lesson, ahead, though. Just, just, I want to continue that chain of reinforcement. Like, mm -hmm. please just keep being a student once you get those letters. It doesn't stop then. It starts then. Oh, my God. I have an awesome quote. Guys, hold on, because I know I love to pull this shit up from uh, all the podcasts I listen to. Please. Say oh, I, I just and I want to tell you one thing that guys that I just got this app called Blinkist. Mm -hmm. You guys heard of it? Mm -hmm all like the top books in 15 minutes, like all these. But today I, I listened to three books. I read three full books. I listened to um, Tipping Point. I listened to How to Make People Like You because I've really been having issues with that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you guys all love me. <laughs> um, and one of the things was saying, and this is just a side note, not related to what we're talking about. It's like, if you come across a good quote or something, say it a lot and write it down so that you could use it in the perfect moment. Like Casey, you are falling into this issue right now that you can't remember the quote. See? Well, no, I have it written down. I found it. It's in my notebook. Oh, okay. Are perfect. you ready? So yeah. it was um, Behavioral Observations Podcast. Love him. And I think we all like should listen to as many podcasts as we can um, to be a well-versed human being. But he always, um, he had someone, I, I believe it was Dr. Pat Fryman, who I am obsessed with. Um, and he said, getting your degree and certification means you are literally just born from the womb. And now you must begin learning how to walk and talk. And then also keep studying and learning as a professional, um, as a behaviorist, we have to be able to work with people who don't think like us. So being yes. open-minded, continuing to study. And I think being able to teach study notes ABA is making me always on the ball. And I love learning. My best friend says, she's like, you're a student for life. It's just what you love, um, which is why I want to become a doctor too, Maggie. So if you have any PhD programs, let me know. Yeah, let's let's chat off air. We will. Can I also, um, can I also give um for show notes? Can I give some uh, reading and podcast and yes, blog yes, kind yes, of recommendations? yes. I did ask you to get that, please. But um, um, can, can you? Yeah, tell us them right now, and and we'll put them in the show notes also. Uh, so this may not be my comprehensive. I might send you more when I have time to write them down. That's fine. Um, but off the top of my head, the my favorite OBM books, if you're a book person. Um, would be there's a there's a series of four books called OBM Applied and it's actually applied with an exclamation point. Um, Getting I'm on typing, Amazon right I'm now. I'm typing it right now in Me our too. show notes. Oh, and it, I'm typing it on it's Amazon. Pretty, it's pretty reasonable. It's got great information. It, and it's it's kind of set up like a workbook, so you Wait, can really, really take reasonable. take it's an like OBM project. Yeah, you can take an OBM project from like. Step one, all the way through social validity and follow up, and and it does cover some of those higher level uh, kinds of analyses that you could do. Um, but it's very readable. I love it. Um, Shannon Biagi and um, oh, I'm pulling it up. Don't worry, I got. I you. love Shannon Biagi, by the way. And this She's, guy named Daniel Sunberg or something. Uh, Sunberg and and um, also yeah. is in a Rodriguez. Rodriguez. 
Manuel Rodriguez. Manny. Manny is great too. I think that that's probably one of the most readable um, OBM kind of books that, that you could go and start with supervision. I'm not going to say like, go run, do this on your own, but, but with uh, minimal additional help, you could actually conduct an OBM study um, in your organization using that. Obviously you need Bailey and Birch. Mm-hmm. Um, also going to say Aubrey Daniels, bringing out the best in people. Yeah. Oh, I haven't read that one. I have the performance management one, I think. Performance management is great for a textbook. I think bringing out the best in people is like that that OBM book that you can read in your pajamas before bed and still like feel like you're reading fiction, but it's really good information. I'm so pumped for that. Oh, yay. oh I hope it's on Blinkist. And then probably um, I'm going to say instructional design made easy from Dr. Guy Bruce and major in pipes analyzing performance problems. Hold on. I'm probably going to have a, a huge, a huge list later. But I think she's going to have to give us to these, these ones written. Yeah. I'm typing. I'm going to just text us later. And we'll I will. I'll do that. Um, okay. So I know we said we were going to make this podcast shorter than the others, which I am definitely realizing it's not, but we had so much good stuff to talk about with Dr. Maggie Pavone. You are amazing. And we're so grateful that you came on this podcast today. Leon. Thank you guys for having me. You guys, I, I love having you. I feel doing. like there's a lot more I want to ask you also. We have to bring you on to talk about eating disorders. We got to bring you on to talk about chronic illnesses. I mean, we're not it's done with actually you. the Leah, Casey and Maggie show started. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, it's good company to be in. I, I appreciate it. You guys are awesome. Please don't become the assholes that we've been talking about today. <laughs> Just Amen. don't be an asshole. Seriously, Please don't be popular. an asshole. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Maggie. And also thank you all for joining in and listening as long as you have to all the amazing things that we have to disseminate. We so had a lot can... to say. We haven't spoken. I mean, we had last week off. We had I know. Double dose. Yeah. So go subscribe to us um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, any podcast platform that you listen to. We are sure to be there. Thank you to Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who gets us all out there. Um, and also... If you can, like we said, subscribe, write a review if you love us. If you don't love us, then just don't write a review. We're good. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Good day. Have a great session. Whatever you're doing. Goodbye. Love ya. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat here, and I just wanted to take the time for just a single second of your time and tell you about something awesome. As you know, Casey and I are super into this podcast thing going on here and getting it started. And I just wanted to let you know that there's an easy way to get it done. And that is what I'm going to tell you right now about Pretty Easy Podcast. Thank God we got in touch with a team at Pretty Easy Podcast. They help you do everything from start to finish. They will get your show up there. They will record the episode for you. They will produce it. They will add bleeps in if you're full of F-bombs like myself. Whatever it is that you need, they will do it. When you first said you wanted to start a podcast, I was like, okay, we can do that. We have no idea what we're doing. I never really thought it would get off ground until we met Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast and he put all my fears to rest. He helped us get everything going from all of our audio editing and production and our song that we have, which is amazing by the way, 
We're allowed to record from our own homes. He helps us with our guests. Um, he caters to our schedule. Uh, come on, Leah. We are the worst with scheduling. I mean, he- I know. We said we're going to have a podcast a week. So far, we're out a few days. But hey, he works with us. That's what we need. But the point is... We were looking at how we could download all these different programs to try learn how to do all this podcasting stuff. But truth is, it's affordable. It's much easier to have someone do it for you. You could go to prettyeasypodcast.com and you could get started today. I say go. I say if you want to be heard, if you have something to say, like we do, we love the sound of our own voices. And we found Alan who lets our voices shine. So thank you, Alan, at prettyeasypodcast.com. easy podcast.com.